the Holy Scriptures together tonight in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 5 verse 17 is where we'll begin our reading. And we'll read through chapter 6 verse 19. 6 verse 19. And my text tonight is made up of the first 11 verses of 2 Samuel 6. So the word of God, beginning at 2 Samuel 5, verse 17. But when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David, And David heard of it and went down to the hold. And the Philistines also came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into mine hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thine hand. And David came to Baal, Parazim, and David smote them there, and said, The Lord hath broken forth upon mine enemies before me as the breach of waters. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal, Parazim. And there they left their images that is, the images of the Philistines, and David and his men burned them. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, Thou shalt not go up, but fetch a compass behind them and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. And let it be when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt bestir thyself. For then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord had commanded him and smote the Philistines from Geba until thou come. To Gazer. Now, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 6 through verse 11, the text. And David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baali of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubim. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Geba. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David 
And all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen shook it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah unto this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David went, uh, would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David. But David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. There ends our reading of God's word. This evening, may the Lord bless our reading of the sacred scripture. The text records a significant event that took place in the Old Testament, an event that took place during the reign of King David, the man after God's own heart. That significant event was the Lord's breach upon Uzzah. That's the description of what God did in the text. The word breach means a breaking out. The passage records the breaking out 
of the Lord in his anger against Uzzah and David and Israel. That word, by the way, and that's part of the reason for reading that portion of chapter 5, besides its setting of the context in God's delivering the Philistines into David's hand. Verse 20, And David came to Baal Perazim, and David smote them there and said, The Lord hath broken forth, that's the word breach, upon mine enemies before me as the breach, the breaking forth of waters. Think of a flood or of a dam that is breached and all that water going downriver and destroying towns and villages and drowning those many of them who are downriver from that breach. The breach of the Lord upon Uzzah took place while David and Israel were removing the ark of God, bringing up the ark of God to Jerusalem. The ark had been placed on a new ox cart, specially made for this purpose. Ahio and Uzzah, who were the sons of Abinadab, were entrusted with guiding the oxen. Ahio, alongside of the oxen, and his brother, Uzzah, alongside of the cart bearing the ark. At Nacon's threshing floor, the oxen stumbled, and the cart shook, and it appeared as though the ark of God would fall out of the cart and be dashed to pieces on the rocks beneath it. Uzzah, therefore, put forth his hand and steadied the ark. And as soon as he touched the ark, the wrath of the Lord was kindled, and he smote Uzzah, and he died there before Israel and David by the side of the ark. This is a significant event that is full of instruction. There's practical application here to us today. It was significant, first of all, for God's people of that time. Significant for David and for Israel. And for that reason, David gave a name to the spot at which this took place. Perez Uzzah, the breach upon Uzzah. It's as if David says, we must never forget what happened here. This is the spot at which God, in his wrath, broke forth 
against Uzzah and against us. But the event is significant, not just for Israel and for David, but for us and for the church of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 15, verse 4, that whatsoever things happened unto them, those things that were written aforetime, were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages is come. And the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, that these things happened unto them for in samples, examples, we would say, examples to us. They were written for our admonition. There is instruction here for us and for our children and for our young people, instruction which it is necessary for us to receive and instruction that we need to take to heart. I call your attention tonight to God's breach upon Uzzah. Notice with me, first of all, the breach. I wouldn't dare accuse Mrs. Overway of a mistake in the bulletin, so I'm sure it's my mistake. Uh, that first point is not the result, but the breach. And then the reason for the breach upon Uzzah, and then finally, the warning that comes to us from God's breach upon Uzzah. The opening verses of 2 Samuel 6 inform us of the decision of David and all Israel to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of God into Jerusalem and into the tabernacle pitched in Jerusalem. The ark to which the passage refers, children pay attention so you understand what the ark was. It was just a box. It was a box, a chest. It was something that God had instructed Moses to build. When he gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, not just the Ten Commandments, but all the laws and statutes of the Old Testament, the civil and ceremonial laws, including the plans for the tabernacle, all of the furniture in the tabernacle, including the Ark of the Covenant, and then all of the sacrifices and the service of the priesthood in the tabernacle. The ark was then a box. It was a box that was about four feet in length, two and a half feet wide, and two and a half feet deep. It was made of acacia or shittim wood, the Bible tells us, and we're not for sure what that kind of wood was. But it must have been a very dense wood, a wood that would not easily rot and would hold up for years and years. 
It had four rings of gold on each corner so that a stave or a rod could be put through those rings on each side and four priests, one on each corner, could lift up the ark and put that stave on his shoulder and then together they could go forward bearing the ark. The ark itself was overlaid with gold so that it was beautiful and in the sunshine it would have glittered. A mercy seat of pure gold was the lid that was made for this box. That lid of pure gold was called the mercy seat. It could be lifted up and it could be put back on. On either end of that lid, the mercy seat, were angels. Two cherubs with outstretched wings that touched on the tips with their faces looking downward onto the ark, onto that lid that was called the mercy seat. And it was called the mercy seat because once a year at the celebration of the annual Passover feast, the high priest would go into the most holy place where the ark was set and with blood, blood in some kind of a bowl or basin from the sacrifice that had been made just outside of the tabernacle on the altar of burnt offering blood from that sacrifice, he would carry through the first compartment of the tabernacle, the holy place, behind the veil that separated the holy place and the most holy place, go into the most holy place and sprinkle that blood or pour that blood over the lid, the mercy seat. It symbolized God's mercy in Jesus Christ, his mercy in the blood of Jesus Christ to wash away the sins of the people of God. Several items of importance came to be stored in the ark. Inside the ark, was placed the two tablets of stone in which God, with his own finger, wrote the Ten Commandments. That's a very striking thing. That the first important thing put into the Ark of the Covenant, symbolizing God's presence with his people. He dwelt in the most holy place. He revealed himself to his people there, communed with his people there 
in the most holy place over the ark, that inside of that ark of the covenant were placed the Ten Commandments. Very clearly underscoring the truth to the children of Israel concerning their part in the covenant. They're calling as members of God's covenant to keep his commandments. As those who are God's friends, who live in fellowship and communion with him, to walk in obedience to his commandments. Later on, two other things were deposited in the Ark of the Covenant. A pot, a golden pot of manna. The manna that God sent every day to the children of Israel during their 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. Manna that miraculously never rotted, never spoiled, but was specially preserved by God. And then, pay attention, children, because your parents are going to ask you later on tonight, what were the three things in the ark? The third thing was Aaron's rod that budded. At the time when Korah, Dathan, and Abiram rebelled against Moses and Aaron, and not only accused Moses of lording it over God's people, but Aaron as priest. Then God showed whom it was his will to function in the priesthood by causing Aaron's staff, a piece of dead wood, a walking cane, if you will, overnight, to blossom, to bud, to bring forth flowers, and then for all the succeeding generations, a testimony of that rod that budded. It was placed and preserved by God in the Ark of the Covenant. That piece of furniture, as I said, was significant. The only piece in the most holy place, it symbolized God's presence with his people. And that's why it was called, as it is in many passages in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant. The care of the Ark was entrusted to a family of Levites who were called Kohathites, the Kohathites. They were to take care of the ark. They were to see to the transporting of the ark whenever the children of Israel moved from place to place. Different families of the Levites had charge of different things. Some of them 
taking down the tabernacle itself, some of them bearing the other pieces of furniture. The Kohathites were entrusted by God with the responsibility of transporting the ark from place to place. They were warned that they, nor anyone else, might ever look into the ark of God or touch it, lest they die. And so the ark was carried by the Levites from place to place for 40 years during their years of wandering. And then, when under Joshua, the children of Israel entered the land of Canaan, what led the procession across the Jordan River were the Levites, the Kohathites, bearing the ark of God when the toes of the two Levites in the lead carrying that ark on their shoulders when their toes touched the Jordan River. The waters parted, and then they marched into the middle of the river and stayed there while all the rest of the children of Israel filed past them on dry ground to the other side, entering into the land of Canaan. And when the Levites bearing the ark came up out of Jordan, once their heels were on the other side, God brought the waters of the Jordan back together, and that dry path was obscured. Recently, the ark had fallen on hard time. You will recall that during the time of the judge Eli, his wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas, had taken the ark of God out of the tabernacle and had taken the ark into battle against the Philistines, supposing superstitiously that in some way or other the presence of the ark would guarantee their victory over the Philistines. Well, that didn't happen. What happened was that the Philistines thoroughly defeated the children of Israel. They captured the ark. And they took the ark into the land of the Philistines. Eventually, after God judged them, sent terrible plagues upon them, they sent the ark back. They sent the ark back on an ox cart, did the Philistines. At that time, the ark was sent to the inhabitants of Bathshemesh. The men of Bathshemesh were overjoyed to see the ark once again. They celebrated by offering burnt sacrifices. However, the Lord smote the men of Bathshemesh because out of their curiosity, they lifted up, they touched the ark, and lifted up the mercy seat to see inside. Maybe they wondered whether 
the three things were still inside the ark, God smote down over 50,000 of them died under the wrath of God. 50,000. It was then that the men of Kirjath-Jerim, another name for Baalah, a Canaanite name and the Israelite name for that city, were besought to come up to Bashemesh and fetch the ark. They did, and the ark was brought into the house of Abinadab, the father of Ahio and Uzzah. There it was stored, neglected and forgotten for over 20 years. Strikingly, we read in 1 Chronicles 13, verse 3, that during the reign of King Saul, they, the children of Israel, under Saul's leadership, they inquired not at it. They didn't call upon God. They didn't seek the friendship and fellowship of the God of the covenant. And that's a reflection, of course, upon the wickedness of King Saul. David now was determined to restore the ark to its rightful place at the center of the worship of God's people. He was determined to bring it up to Jerusalem and put it once again in the tabernacle of God in the most holy place. He had defeated the Philistines. Besides that, he had defeated the Jebusites. The Jebusites even after the Israelites had conquered much of the land of Canaan, retained possession of those two hills that came to be called Zion and Moriah, the two hills on which the city of Jerusalem would be built. The Jebusites held out, but under King David, the Jebusites were defeated, and their hill, the hill of Jerusalem, as now it was called, became the new capital of the kingdom of Israel. It was David's desire that the ark would be removed from the house of Abinadab and be brought to rest in Jerusalem. There can be no doubt that that was a good desire on the part of David. The Lord had been with David. He had given him victory over all his enemies. Nothing could be more fitting than out of gratitude to God, David would bring up the symbol of God's presence, God's friendship, God's covenant friendship, the Ark of the Covenant and have it placed again in the most holy place of the tabernacle. Therefore, David called together 
all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000 in number. That's verse 1 of the passage. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. We read in verses 4 and 5, And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark, and David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments, made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels, and on cornets, and on cymbals. Then follow the words of our text. Imagine the scene. Proceeding before the hosts of Israel is the glorious symbol of Jehovah God's presence among them. Carried on this new ox cart that had been built specially for this purpose. Following directly behind were David and his mighty men. David and all the players on instruments sounding forth the music. The people making up the rear of the procession, singing and dancing before the Lord as the host began to make its ascent up the hill on which Jerusalem was built. At the place, at the foot of that hill, called Nacon's threshing floor, the oxen stumbled. The ark shook, foreseeing what might happen. Uzzah immediately put forth his hand to steady the ark. And just as his hand touched the ark, God smote him. And there he died. Right at the symbol of God's holy presence in Israel, right before the ark. That was God's breach upon Uzzah. Why, we ask, what was the reason for this awful judgment of God? Why did the Lord Strike Uzzah so severely that he died. Couldn't he have made his point in a less dramatic way? Did not Uzzah, after all, do what any one of us would have done if we were in his place? If we had seen the ark moving about, shaking on that cart, wouldn't we have put forth our hand to steady it in order to prevent it falling off the ox cart? Not only are we inclined to say that Uzzah did, but instinctively any of us would do, but we would be inclined to praise Uzzah for what he did. We have questions about the righteousness of God here in smiting Uzzah. And so did David. David was perplexed. It would seem to him to be unrighteous anger or at the very least an overly severe judgment of God. Verses 8 and 9, And David was displeased, displeased with the Lord 
because the Lord had made a breach, had broken out upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? It's important that we emphasize that though it was the case that God's wrath broke out upon Uzzah specifically, Uzzah wasn't the only guilty party here. David was guilty. The priests were guilty. Israel was guilty. That comes out later in 1 Chronicles 15, verse 13. For because ye did it not at the first, David, as it were, is rebuking the priests when they're going to take up the ark the second time. Because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us. He doesn't say a breach upon Uzzah. He says a breach upon us for that we sought him not after the due order. Why? What was the reason for God's breach upon Uzzah? What was Uzzah's sin? What was the sin of which David and the whole nation were guilty of? In the first place, David and Israel were guilty of disobedience to the revealed will of God. Disobedience to the revealed will of God. The Lord had laid down his will concerning the care and the transporting of the ark. He did that way back in Numbers. Numbers chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 and 15. And when the camp setteth forward, Aaron shall come and his sons, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of testimony with it, and shall put there on the covering of badger skins, and shall spread over it a cloth wholly of blue, and shall put it, and shall put in the staves thereof. So it's wholly covered. Nobody can even see the ark. And those coverings are also meant to protect the ark. In verse 15, And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is, set, uh, is to set forward, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it, the ark. But they shall not touch any holy thing, lest they die, these things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. In this passage, God sets forth his will with respect to his worship. An important aspect of his worship, worship in the Old Testament. That will of God had to do with the transporting of the ark. But the fundamental principle that comes out here is that God is to be worshipped as he is pleased 
to be worshipped. It isn't enough that we worship God, but we must worship Him aright. We must worship Him as He is pleased to be worshipped. And as He has revealed in His Word, it is His will for worship. Israel transgressed the clearly revealed will of God. They should have known better. The priests certainly should have known better. They should have known the will of God. How this principle is set aside in the churches today. Roman Catholicism denies this fundamental principle of worship. And Rome, as the reformers, accused Rome of, at the time of the Reformation, Rome is guilty of will worship. Worshiping God, but worshiping God, she pleases according to her own dictates. There will not be two sacraments. Then there will be seven sacraments. There will be a sacrifice, a sacrifice called the mass. There will be an earthly priesthood also in the New Testament, a priesthood that brings that offering. There will be the burning of incense, the worship of images, the veneration of the saints, and especially of the Virgin Mary, and on and on it goes. But the Protestant churches today are guilty of violating this same fundamental principle of worship. Anything goes in worship. It doesn't matter that we worship God as He reveals it is His will to worship. The churches determine themselves how they will worship God. And then the fundamental elements of the New Testament, worship of the church, clearly revealed in Scripture, are set aside. And all kinds of other things are introduced in the worship or to take the place of worship. Rites and rituals involve liturgies and ceremonies. Novelties such as the altar call, films and discussion groups, personal testimonies, liturgical dancing, musical groups, praise bands, all of the other nonsense that's introduced in worship, it all falls under the judgment of God. It's all will worship. The second place besides will worship, Israel and David and Uzzah were guilty of irreverence in worship. And those two always go together. Will worship and irreverence. Just look at the churches today and see that. The reverence for God in worship is lost. Listen to the prayers on the radio. The solemnity of worship is done away with. There's no sense of it 
that in worship, we're in the presence of God. Irreverence in language, irreverence that shows itself in dress, a casualness, flippancy even, about worship. Israel's irreverence here is plain. The holy ark of God is being moved on an ox cart. But that irreverence is also seen in Uzzah's touching the holy ark of God. That irreverence, a factor in that irreverence may very well have been that Uzzah grew up 20 years. The ark was in his parents' home for 20 years. He had seen it, walked past it. I have a hunch that it was the case with Uzzah that familiarity breeds contempt. For so long, he had been in the presence of the ark that it was no big deal anymore. I wonder, much of a factor, that isn't also the case today. that we're so accustomed to going to church that the awesome character of worship is lost on us. That sense of we're in God's house. We're in God's presence. We're involved in the worship, worship of God. Irreverence. God's judgment was swift. And it was severe. I think in the third place that David and Israel and Uzzah forgot that God was their God. The God of the covenant with them and their children after them. According to his mercy. Mercy. The sense of that was lost on them. The sense that they didn't deserve to be in God's presence. They didn't deserve to stand before God. They didn't deserve God's friendship. 
and fellowship. What they deserved was wrath and judgment and condemnation. That's the mercy seat. That mercy seat on the ark was the testimony to the truth that our standing before God is not due to who we are or anything that we do. Our standing before God is in Jesus Christ. His doing. His dying. His blood. The blood that was poured over that mercy seat annually. That truth that what we are we are by grace by grace alone. So there is a warning here to us and to our children tonight. The warning is that God is pleased to dwell among us. But the God who is pleased to dwell among us is a holy God, a jealous God. He will not give his honor to anyone else. He will vindicate his righteousness, even among his own people. He will not allow his holiness to be trampled upon. So Uzzah found out, and so will they, everyone find out, who disdains God's holiness and corrupts his worship. Though a severe warning was a warning that David and Israel took to heart. That's plain from the account of their second attempt to bring up the ark of God. That comes out in the passage that we read in verses 12 and 13. But I'm going to read 1 Chronicles 15, 11 through 13. We read 13 a moment ago. 11 through 13, and, Zad and David called Zadok and Abiathar the priests, and for the Levites, for Uriel, Asiah, and Joel, Shemaiah, and Eliel, and Amenadab, and said unto them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites, sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel into the place that I have prepared for it. For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. This is the warning to us. We must remember Perez Uzzah. We must teach our children to remember Perez Uzzah. It is a wonder of God's grace that he stoops 
to take us up into his fellowship, to condescend to abide with us, sinners that we are. What a blessing. What a wonder of grace that we know him, may fellowship with him, our Father, our friend, in Jesus Christ. But let us beware. Let us beware that we never take his presence among us for granted. Let us never forget that although God is pleased to tabernacle with us, he is a holy God, a God of righteousness. In that righteousness, he will not fail to judge and to punish all who do not properly regard his holiness. None may despise him and his worship with impunity. That's the warning. That's the example of Perez Uzzah. Let's heed it, and let's take it to heart. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we're sobered by the warning of thy word tonight. Spare us, Heavenly Father, the awful judgment the breach, the breaking out of thy wrath upon a people who despises the right worship of thy name. We pray, O God, preserve thy worship in our midst for thy glory and our and our children's salvation. Amen.